moyo mora dumela sabona heita that was beautiful that was beautiful those who don't know me my name is lesejo and i have the privilege of serving the body of christ through fellowship city and it is a great privilege to fellowship with all of you that are here and in this particular morning i have the privilege of opening god's word for us we have journeyed over the last 7 weeks today being the 8th looking at the book of acts and what the book of acts has to tell us as a church specifically as a church plant as we as as we seek to reach the city what does the book of acts have to tell us what is god trying to tell us in how we ought to act what we ought to say and what we ought to do and if i were to recap the 8 weeks i think we would be here for another couple of hours so i won't recap that but feel free to go onto the social onto youtube or onto your favorite podcasting platform where you will find sermons of the series and other series um, great exposition of text an explanation of what the bible has to say to us so each of the sermons build on one another so i'm going to be building on reino's sermon from last week he looked at x3 I'm going to be looking at Acts 4, and there's a synergy in there because they're building on one another. Remember, this is a letter that would have been sent to an original audience, and we have some nice Bible scholars that have separated it, given us some chapters, given us some themes, as well as some verses to make it easier for us. So I'm going to be building on top of what Reno was sharing last week. But before I do that, I think it's good for us to pray, to ask the Holy Spirit to enable us to hear God's word and to be changed and moved by God's word. So let's close our eyes in this prayer. Lord, we thank you that we can gather this morning, and we do so because of Christ, who died on the cross for us, who gives us life. Thank you that we are able to fellowship with one another, and this morning as well hear from your word. I pray that by the Holy Spirit that you would speak to us, that you would challenge us where you need to challenge us. correct us we need to correct us encourage us we need to encourage us but ultimately conform us to the likeness of Christ pray against any distractions this morning and we pray that you'd focus us on you that the holy spirit would be moving the holy spirit would be speaking to us i pray all of this in Jesus name amen amen So just a little bit of context so that you see the journey that we're in. So Reino last week in chapter 3 we learned about Jesus. Jesus the risen king who heals a man through the faith and the words of Peter and John. Heals a man through the faith and the words of Peter and John. The man now healed gets up and runs around the temple praising God. This man who is likely in his 40s was lame from birth but is now healed and a crowd gathers so a crowd sees this a crowd sees um this man leaping around the temple praising god the crowd gather because of what what peter and john have 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 also shared so peter then responds to the crowd and he preaches to them as reno shared it doesn't seem like he prepared a week um, but it clearly seems that he was ready to engage people about the gospel He's clearly ready to engage people about the gospel so peter then says some very big claims he says some very big truths 
about Jesus. Starting in chapter 3. So chapter 3 verse 15. Peter says, Jesus is the author of life. Peter says, Jesus was raised from the dead by God. It reads from verse, from verse 14 like this. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. So Peter's reminding them about a time before the crucifixion where they wanted, where, where Pilate asked whether Barnabas would be released or Jesus. And they were adamant that Barnabas should be released and Jesus was then ultimately crucified. The same Jesus rose again. We saw this and we were witnesses of this. This is what he's saying in chapter 3, verse 14 to 15. And Peter also says in chapter 3, verse 21, he speaks about fulfillment of scripture here. He says, Whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. So he's saying the holy prophets have already spoken about this Jesus, who is going to come and restore all things. And one of the other claims Peter makes is in verse 25. He says, all the families of the earth will be blessed by him. So chapter 3 shows some big claims. It shows the first miracle. It shows the wonder and the word. That's the theme of last week. So it shows the wonder and the word and the implications of that. So our geography this morning, as we're looking at the text, we're going to see three things. We're going to see Peter's boldness, and we're going to understand that boldness. We're going to see the exclusivity of Jesus. And we're going to see what should we do about that exclusivity. So soccer, for those who don't know, is a sport where men run around in a structured format after a ball. Morandini already shared some claims that need to be investigated about him being super at playing FIFA. So soccer is the biggest global sport. Even in terms of money, we see a large sum of money in the league, in the English league primarily. The English league is among the most watched football matches or contests. And there are fans who make some very big claims. There's some Arsenal fans who make claims that they are a big club, primarily because of a season where they went unbeaten. That's a big claim. Okay. Then there are fans who make big claims like Liverpool and Manchester United fans who believe they're a big team because of this history that they claim. But then there's a certain fan that belongs to a team that wears blue who make a big claim. Chelsea Football Club. You will see it. They make a claim that they are the most successful club in the last decade. And this is true. <laughs> I would ask you to inquire from Google. And you will see that this claim, even though it's a big claim, it is true. It may seem arrogant, but it is true. Again, if you type the best anti-aging serum in South Africa, in Google, what do you think will come out tops? I was amazed that L'Oreal came out on top, according to today.com. You'll see an image of it there. This Today.com is an online shop which produces 
um, this outcome that L'Oreal is the best anti-aging cream or serum because of use and shopper trends. So there's some, some proof to it. I did know this before, I didn't know this before I typed it in Google, um, but this is what today.com says. So this is an extract from it. With a four to five star average and over 10,800. Whenever someone has to read numbers, I think back of the president and get a bit of a sweat when I see that number. <laughs> but, that is, but that is the number. So 10,800 verified five star ratings and reviews. Love this moisturizer. They love how it hydrates and soothes the skin. One reviewer said, I feel like I literally had a facelift. These are big claims. These are big claims. And I thought about asking Google, what is the best rice? But we had a big debate at Citigroup, and I thought there were some rice connoisseurs, and I thought maybe it's better to stay clear of that this morning. But then I asked Google, what is the best family car? And the Audi A4 came out. Business Insider says that. I do have to mention for... My BMW friends, Morandini, you feature, but uh, under a different category, best premium vehicle. So <laughs> you do feature, uh, but the A4 is the best family car. Uh, and maybe for my Toyota lovers, uh, I know Reynolds there, you, you do feature as well um, in best adventure. <laughs> so these are amazing claims that are supported in one way or the other by these businesses. So one of the biggest objections to Christianity is that Christianity is narrow-minded, is arrogant or is unfair. This object, objection is based on a claim that says there's only one way to God, which is through Jesus. It's a big claim. It's a big claim to hear, big claim to swallow. And that's one of the reasons why there's this big objection to Christianity. Because it sounds arrogant. It sounds unfair. Also because many religions are inclusive about how they view other religions. You will see this morning how offensive the Christian faith is. And I hope that there would be a great hope that we also see as we look at that. I pray that as we see Peter respond, that we would have and see this great hope and this great answer. He will be answering this big claim, which is there is only one way to God. So chapter 3 and 4 of Acts, Peter makes some claims about Jesus, about who he is. Peter then continues to answer for the gospel in which he believes. That's what we're going to see now. He answers for this gospel that gives him a boldness to speak, a boldness to preach. And this is a boldness he didn't have. If we remember back um, before the crucifixion, a little girl asks him, if he knows this Jesus, if he's part of these people, and Peter denies it. But now with a certain boldness that's brought about by this gospel, brought about by the Holy Spirit, which we'll see, he's able to stand firm and respond to being questioned about his faith. So let's remember the context that Peter and John are in. The world was, in, in many ways, is still very a pluralistic in a pluralistic age. So pluralistic meaning uh, that a system, or pluralistic as a word means a system in which two or more uh, states, groups, principles, or authorities exist. So basically, there's a coexisting of groups, of thoughts, of ideas, of principles. That's what pluralistic means. 
So they were living in this age where, where these things could exist. The world then, under the Roman rule, lived under a principle called Pax Romana. So Pax Romana basically meaning Roman peace. So this means that during this time, there was peace. There was unprecedented peace because no one group or no one authority was allowed to say it was greater than another. That was how they tried to keep things in control. They wanted to live within this pluralistic age to make sure that everyone is happy. All of all gods were accepted. All sources of, all, all sources of authority could coexist. So Rome even had a temple called the Pantheon, basically a temple for all gods. All statues were there. Um, inside the temple, it would say that Caesar is the king of kings and lord of lords. But they lived within a pluralistic age where claims about your God being greater than the other or your God being the only God were frowned upon. Or you could even be arrested. So Peter speaks against this pluralistic age. He speaks against this concept that you can worship any God. He started speaking against this in chapter 3, and he continues in chapter 4. We will see as we engage the scriptures that the problem is not that Jesus was raised from the dead. That's not the problem. The problem is really that Peter and John were telling everyone that Jesus was raised from the dead. And they were telling everyone that Jesus is king of kings because of that. That Jesus was the only God, and people were believing them. Remember the 5,000 that was added to them and the 3,000 before. So let's pick up the story from verse 5. What comes before is Peter's explaining the miracle. Uh, He's making big claims to explain the miracle in which 5,000 people believe in Jesus and they were added to their number. Uh, We've seen this before. Uh, Peter preached on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 were added to their number. And And I mentioned it then that we should see now that when the word of God is preached, People hear the word of God and are turned to God. So verse 5 of chapter 4. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Ananas and and the high priest, Cephas and John and Alexandra and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name do you do this? So Peter and John were captured. Captured for preaching Jesus and his resurrection. Captured for the miracle that happened, with explanation being that Jesus healed this man. That Jesus is the author of life and is raised from the dead as part of fulfillment of scripture. So Peter then stands before the rulers, elders, and scribes together with Ananas and Cephas. And remember, they were instrumental in in the crucifixion of Jesus. In this pluralistic age, Peter is speaking about Jesus as God and God above all other gods. Name above all other names. So the rulers, elders, and scribes, they're asking, by what power or by what name do you do this? So Peter then has got this boldness in which he answers. Verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, By what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, who you crucified, 
whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. By this man, by him, this man is standing before you well. So imagine the surprise of the rulers and elders as Peter, who denied Jesus less than a hundred days ago, questioned about his loyalty to Jesus, and he stands firm. They were being held captive, but there's still a swagger in how he responds, a boldness in how Peter speaks to the rulers and elders. Luke tells us where this comes from. He tells us in three things. So Peter, in verse 8, was filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter, we see the first part of verse 8, was filled with the Holy Spirit. It's important here that Peter's filled with the Holy Spirit because Peter denied Jesus before the crucifixion and before being filled by the Holy Spirit. The power of the Holy Spirit enables him to be bold, now to respond to the rulers and elders. But it also enabled him to be bold at Pentecost, to preach. just want to go into a short rabbit hole to explain something that might might, might be tricky to understand or confusing. So when Luke mentions being filled by the Holy Spirit here, he's not inferring that at some point Peter lost the Holy Spirit. So Peter had the Holy Spirit all along. He's inferring that as part of the theme that we see in Acts, that the Holy Spirit would fill people and they would have this boldness to proclaim Jesus. So he's speaking about a boldness that's brought by the Holy Spirit filling someone. So he's not saying that at some point they lost the Holy Spirit. That's not what he's saying. He's saying through this theme in the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit would fill someone and they would have a boldness to speak about Jesus. So being filled with the Holy Spirit is to indicate the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit to empower and bring boldness to proclaim Jesus Christ. And this is fulfillment of Scripture. So Luke in chapter, chapter 21, Luke chapter 21, verse 12, it says, For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. This fulfillment of Scripture. The Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. In that very hour, Peter is empowered to witness by the Holy Spirit. So the first answer to where this boldness comes from is from the Holy Spirit. The second answer to where this boldness comes from is the resurrection power. So verse 10 says, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man standing before you as well. So God raised Jesus from the dead. Peter saying and is inferring that you lost, that you chose the wrong side, that you crucified Jesus, reminding them that you crucified him. But now... This man standing here is healed, which means he has been resurrected. It means you chose the wrong side. The whole Christian foundation is based on the perfect birth, life, death, resurrection, and ultimate ascension of Jesus Christ. If Jesus was not resurrected, then we would not have conquered death. He would not have conquered death, and we would safely face the wrath of God. So Jesus conquered death in dying in our place. He takes on our sin so that we can be righteous and justified through the cross and in the eyes of God. And we see even in this time where, where Peter and John are, the movement of Christianity is spreading. At Pentecost, 3,000 were added to their number. Then 5,000 were added to their number. This speaks about men within the household 
So there were more people that were added to their number. But these numbers of the 3,000, 5,000 speaks of men that were added to the household. And if you think about Jerusalem, in terms of the number of people that would be there, including visitors that would come to Jerusalem, looking at about maybe 40,000 people, and already half of the people in these two events have seen God move in a supernatural way. They've seen God fill people, and people proclaim God in their own language. They've seen God heal, and they've heard that he's the only way, and they were changed. So verse, chapter 4, verse, verse 11. This Jesus is a stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So Peter here is showing them their guilt before he shows them the hope, before he shows them the answer, showing them the guilt, before showing them how can they be saved. They crucified Jesus, they rejected him. He healed this man. In verse 11, Peter uses Old Testament scripture uh, about a cornerstone. This scripture is from Psalm 118, verse 22. So to understand what Peter's saying here is to understand maybe the kingdom of God as a building and the religious leaders as the builders. So the religious leaders are finding the bricks that they think they should build with. And they throw Jesus away, believing that he could not be used for this building. But the main architect, who is God, the main architect found the stone lying in the grave or found the stone lying in the tomb and made the stone a cornerstone. So a cornerstone would be the stone that's at the foundation of a building, the stone that sets the path for the rest of the building. So it could be a stone that would be sitting at a corner that every other stone thereafter is guided by. So the master builder found the stone lying in the grave or lying in the tomb and made Jesus the cornerstone, the most fundamental stone that the religious leaders couldn't see. And that is what we see here. The foundation of the gospel and the resurrection power, we find the boldness to speak of Jesus. The last reason for the boldness comes from the power of Jesus to save. So verse 12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So after showing the rulers and elders their guilt in crucifying Jesus, Peter shows them how they can be saved. He in verse 10 is showing that Jesus can heal the physical, verse 11 showing that Jesus can heal the spiritual. So the rulers and elders need the salvation. They need Jesus. There's some big claims that Peter's making here. He's talking about Pax Romana. He's speaking against a pluralistic age. But he's not only leaving them in their guilt, he's giving them an implicit invitation to trust in the only name, the only name that can save them. Peter says salvation is in no one else. This name brought physical healing to the layman, and it can bring spiritual healing to you. Salvation is in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. No other name. Not Muhammad. Not Bushiri. 
not Krishna, not Buddha, not Lekhanyani, not your name, not even my name. Only one name. I know this is offensive message to some, but Peter is showing here the exclusivity of Jesus. Peter is under arrest. He's answering for what's happened before. He's answering for having preached Jesus and Jesus risen. But he's still holding firm to that message. He's filled with the Holy Spirit. He speaks with all boldness to witness to Jesus. So taking Peter lightly and minimizing the exclusivity of Jesus is not loving. We may not be bold in standing up and speaking about the exclusivity of Jesus when our friends are at the water cooler and talking about other gods. We may not be bold when our friends are speaking down God while taking a small break at the Chesanyama or at Ridgebacks, even with your family at, Ridge, at the table, at the dining room table. If we aren't bold to witness to Jesus, we are condemning those people to hell. We know the truth. The truth lives in us, and so does the Holy Spirit. We ought to be bold. With all boldness, we ought to witness to Jesus. Jesus crucified and resurrected. Faith in Jesus Christ, crucified and resurrected, saves us. That alone. It's not in faith that Jesus heals, or that Jesus provides. Even though he does do that. Jesus does heal. Jesus does provide. We saw last week, and even Raina mentioned, that we believe that miracles still do happen. But faith in him as a provider or a healer is not saving faith. It should be faith in him crucified and resurrected. The pluralistic age says God will save you if you are a faithful Hindu, faithful Muslim, faithful Jew, faithful Jehovah's Witness. That's not what Peter said. Peter saying the name of Jesus is the focus of our faith and repentance. Acts 10 verse 43, which we will see in season 2. I'm just going to read uh, uh, just verse 43. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. Everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So you must have heard about Jesus. Know who he is as God. And as a man, and know that he died and was resurrected. Romans 10, verse 13 to 15. Paul says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how are men to call upon him whom they have not, whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without a preacher? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? So what does this exclusivity mean for us? We have the same Holy Spirit that is in Peter. We should have the same boldness to witness. If we are really moved by the exclusivity of Jesus, then we should be moved with compassion for those who don't know Jesus. Those who we meet at the water cooler. Those we meet at the gym, the car wash. We will face opposition. Might not be as extreme as Peter's Peter's facing here, Peter and John, who were arrested. Might not be as extreme as that. As that. But in love, we need to push through the awkward silence. 
love we need to push through the mocking. We need to love Jesus more than we love our personal image. It is possible that we don't see opposition because we don't say anything bold. We don't witness, afraid to offend someone. Tim Keller, in a study he wrote about Acts, says, the description of persecution must be put alongside what we see in Acts 2, verse 47, that the early Christians enjoyed the favor of all people. And Acts 4, verse 22, that all the people were praising God for what had happened, and that many who heard the message believed, and the number of men grew to about 5,000. In other words, as a church, they were both suffering sharp persecution and enjoying enormous popularity and broad-based support. They were both attractive and growing, yet hated and attacked. This description of the early church cuts us two ways. If on the one hand we experience no attacks or persecution for our faith, it means we are simply being cowards. We're not taking risks in our witness. We're not being bold. On the other hand, if we experience attacks without concomitant, concomitant, associated, basically meaning associated faithfulness and attractiveness, if we get lots of persecution and no affirmation, it may mean that we're being persecuted for being harsh or insensitive or strident. Jesus said we would only be blessed if we were persecuted for righteous sake. It is possible, it is quite possible indeed, it is very normal for Christians to be persecuted not for their faith, but for their discourtesy and sensitivity and lack of warmth and respect in their dealings with others. Insensitive, harsh Christians will have persecution but not praise. Cowardly Christians will have praise but not persecution. Most Christians who walk with God, whose walk with God is weak, actually get neither. But Christians who are closest to Jesus will get both as he did. I pray that we are changed by the realization of the exclusivity of Jesus. To be inclusive in that exclusivity. To proclaim the death and resurrection of Jesus. That we would with all boldness witness as Jesus did and as we see Peter do in Acts. So we're going to move quite quickly uh, through the next part. I think it was important that we spend some time seeing the exclusivity of Jesus and that boldness of Peter. So we're going to move quite quickly through the remaining verses of the passage. So in verse 13, now it says, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men, they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. So these elders, these rulers are, hearing the response to which they're questioning Peter and John. And Luke adds that they, are, they were uneducated to show the astonishment of the rulers and elders. In that Peter and John were not trained, but they're able to articulate their faith. That they were effective in doing that, with the 3,000 and 5,000 coming to faith. And it's more than that number, as we've just mentioned. The rulers and elders are seeing that they have been with Jesus. This shows that God can use anyone for his service. God can also use you. God can also use me with all boldness. What shall we do with this man? Verse 16. 
What shall we do with this man? For that a notable sign has been performed through them. It's evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and we cannot deny it. They see the boldness of Peter and they can't respond. They hear the teaching and effectiveness of the teaching. They see the healed man. That's what happens in verse 14 and 15. That's what they see. Verse 17 says, But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they call them and charge them not to speak or to teach at all in the name of Jesus. They can't deny what they have heard. They can't deny what they've seen. But they're afraid to lose their power. They're trying to gag and stop Peter and John. Stop them from speaking and teaching because their message is effective and they can't deny it. They can't deny the works of Jesus as they've seen. Remember that these people were instrumental in crucifying Jesus. And now they can see. They would lose their power if this healing and teaching is shared. Verse 19, But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. They cannot but speak. They can't be silent. The boldness of Peter and John. They are committed to speaking because they have seen Jesus. They have heard Jesus and, and they cannot keep quiet. I pray that we too can keep quiet about Jesus. Verse 23 to 31. We see Peter and John reunited with their friends. They speak of what happened to them and they pray for boldness. Verse 29. And now look, now Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue speak, to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. They're asking for God to use them and for God to continue moving. They're asking for boldness. They are aware that they're not doing this. They are aware of the power of God. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. They are aware of the power of Jesus. They're saying, equip us, Lord, to speak boldly, and God hears them. Verse 31, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember, they're not filled as if they didn't have the Holy Spirit. They were empowered again to speak. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So what is our response to this? If this is the first time you're hearing of Jesus as the only way to God, of Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords, who died and rose again for your sins and my sins, to conquer death, if you feel God calling you to himself or the words of God tugging at your heart, then I would encourage you to pray with me now. I'll just share a short prayer. Do it quietly in your heart. I'll ask that we at least buy our heads a little bit. Dear Lord Jesus, I know I am a sinner. I believe you died for my sins. I repent and turn away from my sins. 
come into my heart and life. I want to trust in you as Lord and Savior. Thank you for forgiving my sins and giving me eternal life. I confess you as my personal Lord and Savior. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for making me new. Grant me the grace and courage to live as your disciple for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you pray that prayer, then you are a child of God. That's what the Word of God says. He is your Lord. He is your Savior. And if you want to know more about Jesus or want someone to pray with you, there will be people after the service up front here that will be happy and willing to pray with you and for you. And if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, your sp- the response then should be, re- sh- you sh- then you should be reminded that it is not only the rulers and elders who crucified Jesus. Our sin also crucified Jesus. Our sin also put him on that cross. Jesus defeated death. He died and rose again in three days. That is fulfillment of scripture. So we should be encouraged by grace that he loved us so and made a way for us to have a relationship with him. We should be encouraged by that. We should also have courage. Our courage should be in the Holy Spirit who is within us. We have the same Spirit, the same Holy Spirit within us that Peter here had. And we should have the courage because of the death and resurrection of Jesus. We can come to God and pray and he would fill us with the courage and boldness to witness. Peter and John, when they were reunited with their friends, prayed and God heard them and filled them with the Holy Spirit, enabled them to witness. Courage to say that Jesus is King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Jesus is the only name that saves. We should also be encouraged to pray for others. We live in a country where there is some freedom to worship God. Let us be courageous in freedom. Let us not be passive. Let us also pray for others who are persecuted to the point of death for their faith, that God would encourage them and give them much boldness to continue witnessing for him. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this morning an opportunity to hear from you, to see a hope that is from you, that you, Lord, have brought Jesus to die on the cross for our sins and was resurrected, and he is Lord of Lord and King of Kings. That the Holy Spirit and the resurrection power of Jesus give us the boldness to witness, for you call us to witness. We pray that you would continuously show us where we need to be witnessing and encourage us to do so. We pray that we would continually bend the knee and ask for that boldness so that we can continue to witness. And if we've just come to an understanding of who you are as Lord and Savior, I pray that you would continue to speak to us, to challenge us, to tell us those things that you want us to know, say, and do. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.